Find in your Bible with me one more time this morning, or again this morning, we're on the, we're on the home stretch of our series. We've got a few more installments to go. Find again Hebrews chapter 11, find verse 30 and just hold your place there for just a minute. Verse 30, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, and just hold your place there for a minute. Uh, this Saturday a week ago, the 15th, uh, was the birthday of someone that you probably have no idea who they are or uh, that their birthday was way back in the day and is still celebrated by many on the 15th of October. It was a female German shepherd named Buddy. And Buddy was the first seeing eye dog of the foundation of the seeing eye in America. A man named Frank Morris, who was blind in both eyes, the first one was from a horse riding accident, the second one he lost his sight boxing, and, and so he was blind as an adult. He, he learned of a program uh, in Germany that would train dogs to help war veterans through life. And the woman who was the handler of those dogs was named Dorothy Eustace, and he got, he got a, contacted her, and, and he went to Germany to learn more about the program. And while he was there, uh, he found this German Shepherd puppy, this, this dog that she was training, a Swiss-born German Shepherd, born in 1936 in Switzerland, and she uh, had adopted that German Shepherd, was training that German Shepherd to help war veterans. And he said, well, what if we shifted gears, and what if we trained this dog, who he named Buddy, what if we trained Buddy to be helpful to the blind? And he told her, he said, I have an idea of starting a foundation in America called the Seeing Eye that would, would train dogs for people who have lost their sight to help them, and Buddy would be the first of those dogs. To this day, by the way, the Seeing Eye Foundation refers to her as the first lady of the Seeing Eye. So uh, the story, the rest of the story is history. For much of the rest of his life, Frank Morris and Buddy spent their time raising funds and speaking on behalf of the Seeing Eye. And as he tells the story, one time they were in a multi-story a hotel uh, in a major city, and he was in a rush to get to a speaking engagement, and he came out of his room, and he told Buddy, you know, he's hustling her along, we've got to get to the elevator, they go to the elevator, he pushes the, the button, and he hears the doors, bing, and he starts to step forward, but Buddy will not budge, and he commands Buddy forward, but Buddy won't move, and he commands Buddy forward again in frustration and impatience, and not only will Buddy not go forward, Buddy pulls back on him. And he did the one thing he should never, never, never have done. He dropped the leash and advanced forward on his own out of frustration and just impatience. And Buddy threw herself in front of his legs to stop him. And at that moment, a lady came out of an adjoining room and screamed at him, Stop, stop, there is no elevator. The doors are open and it's an empty shaft. It's a good reminder that God knows what you do not know and God sees what you do not see. When we talk in this series about trusting God for what we cannot see and what we do not see, we're reminded in Scripture that always trusting God for what you do not see, trusting Him for what you do not know, means that He knows what comes on the other side. And when we trust Him, it enables Him to lead us forward to participate in the great work of God, to bless us in ways we could not have even imagined. And when we refuse to trust Him and go our own way, it's often to our own peril. Last week, you'll remember, 
uh, a writer to the Hebrews dug deeply into the choices of faith that Moses made in Egypt that led him all the way to the exodus out of Egypt and the writer takes us to the Red Sea where Moses got to participate because all along Moses had, had trusted God for what he couldn't see. Moses got to participate in a great work of God right there at the Red Sea to see the, the sea's part, be, participate in that as the people of God went, went across on dry land. Well, this morning our passage fast forwards 40 years from the Red Sea event. And we step into a moment of Scripture which is a bit surprising for us. And what the surprise is, is that it only takes two verses in the book of Hebrews to summarize one of the greatest events of God as the people of God move forward into Canaan. Uh, look there with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. And you'll remember the story of Jericho and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. We teach our children to sing about it, right? Look at this, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. The Bible says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Now, if you know your Bible history, you'll be surprised at just how brief verse 30 is. Verse 30 briefly skirts through a very complex and detailed story in the Old Testament book of Joshua. A story that illuminates the work of God as Joshua, the great warrior of God, led God's people into the promised land, into Canaan, fighting battles and winning those battles. Moving eventually to the great walled city of Jericho, and by the miracle of God, Jericho fell when the people of God listened to God and followed Joshua and his story. And the people of God exercised faith in God for what they could not see as a, as a group, as, a, as a, a collection of people. The Israelites themselves marched around the city for six days and then again on the seventh day blew the trumpet, a great shout, and the walls fell and they took the city of Jericho because they trusted God for what he would do, and for what they could not see. But why is that not detailed out in verse 30? In fact, Joshua's name's not even mentioned. Joshua is the one we would expect God, uh, the Bible to preserve right here and say, by faith, Joshua did this. By faith, Joshua led the people and the walls of Jericho fell. And we don't get that. Why? Because the writer wants to push past that moment and let us focus on one person this woman named Rahab, who was intricately involved in the events of Jericho, and yet which we could easily bypass and miss who she was, and why she is included for the rest of her life in the hall of faith, in the legacy of the heroes of faith that God has preserved for us in Scripture. Why is she there? She's there for this reason. She's there in Scripture and in this passage as a reminder that God raises heroes of the faith from anyone who will trust His grace and follow Him. Anyone. No one is excluded if they will repent of their sins and trust God's grace. God raises up heroes from regular people. Even unexpected people. People that you and I wouldn't pick out. People in script, the Scripture's peppered with people that you and I would say, well, God would never use them. Well, sure, God would use Noah. Sure, God would use Abraham. Sure, God would use Moses and 
But not Rahab. She's a prostitute. And not only is she a prostitute, she's not even an Israelite. She's not one of the people of God. No, we would skip her. But that's why the Bible says pause here. Because she's more like us than we think she is. She's, she's more like us, really, than the others maybe we've looked at so far. She's the unexpected person that pops up in the roll call of faith. She's the one that, when you say God could never use me, God says, let me tell you about Rahab. Because there is no God could never use me for the people that trust God's grace and believe God for what they cannot see. Rahab illustrates for us that all people, all heroes of the faith, hold three things in common. And we want to we go into that for just a moment in this one verse about Rahab. All people of faith, all people that God uses, all people that trust God for what they cannot see, hold three things in common. Look at this with me. First of all, the first thing that we hold in common is that we remember God's nature. We remember God's nature. Now, uh, to unpack this, we need to revisit Rahab's story in the book of Joshua where there's much more detail to it. And we find out there uh, that she was awaiting the people of God to come into the promised land. She is a Canaanite woman. As we've already seen, she's a prostitute. But she's awaiting the people of God to come into her land of Canaan. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8, this is what the Bible says. Well, let me, I need to give you the background for it just a second. Okay, so before Joshua came in, he sent spies into the land. He sent spies and then into Jericho to spy out the city. Now, the people of God, the Israelites' reputation was preceding them. And as we'll read from Rahab's own words in a moment, the Canaanites were terrified of the Israelites coming into the land because they were terrified of the Israelite God. The Israelites were winning battles along the way as they came into the great land of Canaan, and now they were arriving at Jericho. So they sent spies into Jericho, but the Canaanites were hunting the spies. So Rahab hid the two Israelite spies on her roof, and she misdirected the ones that were hunting the spies, sent them elsewhere, and we're going to pick up reading. She goes up to the roof to have a conversation with the spies that she has hidden on her roof. Hey, now, Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For you have heard, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og. The two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven, above, and on earth below. Uh, notice how she distinguishes what's going to be her faith. Everyone else is terrified. She said everyone's lost heart. And for a while, that would have included her. So she made a decision. She decided that this God of the Israelites was the one true God. She trusted His nature. She learned about Him. The Red Sea event was 40 years before this moment. So for 40 years, the story of the Red Sea has been told and retold. 
and told even more as the Israelites advance into Canaan. And she has heard this story and she has come to the conclusion that the Israelite God is the one true God. The God of heaven, the God of earth. And the multitude of Canaanite gods hold no chance against the one true God. She has made her decision to shift her allegiance to the one true God based on who He is, based on the character of God. Remember how we've learned throughout this series that our faith, when we say by faith and trusting God in what we cannot see, we're talking about putting our faith in the character of God. It's not about us. It's not a hope-so kind of faith. It's not a maybe kind of faith. It's a faith that securely rests in the person and the character and the nature of an unchanging, absolute God. He is our God, and you can trust Him. Because, as Rahab says, the way He behaved before is the way He will behave in the future. If He has backed the Israelites in the past, He's going to back the Israelites in the future. She says, I, I want to put my faith in Him, the one true God, rather than the multitude of Canaanite gods that I've been raised to believe in, because it's very clear, your God is the real God. The one true God. In this decision, she reflects what we've already seen in the book of Hebrews. Remember Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. The Bible says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe, listen to this, that He exists, that's what Rahab concluded, and second, that He rewards those who seek Him. It's best to be on the side of the one true living God, Rahab concludes, than on the side of a multitude of fearful, panicking gods and people. Why would they be so panicking? Because they, their gods are not trustworthy. Their gods are not alive. They're terrified of the one true God. And her conclusion is, why be afraid when I can just trust the Israelite God? That's the one true God. I'd rather be on his side than afraid on the other side. Uh, in 1971, a coffee shop opened up in Seattle, Starbucks, and sold its first blend, Sumatra, for the outrageous price of $1.75. But true coffee people flocked to Starbucks in Seattle. Even though they had Seattle coffee already there, there was something different about this one blend, Sumatra, that you could get for $1.75 at Starbucks. 1971. Fast forward to 2022. There is a challenge on social media right now for you to create your own blend of ingredients and take it to the baristas at Starbucks and get your own coffee with your own blend of ingredients. Listen to this. Starbucks estimates that so far on social media, 170,000 different blends of ingredients have been created. When they interviewed baristas, they just said, well, we're, we can do that, but we're tired. Well, I bet they are. A lot of people in our culture, and even Christians today, who, uh, who tend to, take their cues from culture on what God is like, what we tend to want to do is blend together what we want God to look like. We want God to behave this way. We want God to be that way. And ultimately, what we have 
when we do that is something quite different from the biblical God. There might be some mixed in there, but not the biblical God. Instead, what we have is a version of ourselves that's really untrustworthy and sometimes terrifying. But when we turn our direction, our faith, our focus back to the one true God, we realize there really is just one God. There really is just one God. That's where our faith must be placed. That's where our hope is. We don't get to dictate how God behaves. We learn from Scripture who He is. And our faith is fortified when we remember He never changes. The circumstances might change. The Red Sea might be in front of us and the soldiers behind us. But God never changes. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you're doing. And He's calling you out. Will you trust me now for this? And if you wonder whether you can or how he's going to behave, just look into the Word of God and remember how he always behaves. Because that's how he will always behave. He never changes. Remember God's nature. Remember God's person. Remember God's character. Remember God's promises. Focus on that. That's the first thing that people who trust God, heroes of the faith, that's the first thing that we have in common. It's not our goodness, it's not our character, it's not our skill, it's who God is. And that's who we trust. Second, the second thing that heroes of the faith all have in common, without exception, is to embrace God's grace. To embrace God's grace. Embedded in Scripture, in the book of Hebrews, as well as in Joshua, is... Rahab's identity before Christ. She was a prostitute. And the term translated prostitute doesn't mean a temple prostitute. In the Canaanite religion, there were fertility gods, and most of the temples hosted prostitutes, and people believed that they went and participated in that. They were worshiping these pagan gods. She wasn't that kind of prostitute. She didn't even have a little religious tent, so to speak, a little hue of religion uh, covering her. No, she was a common street-walking prostitute. She made a daily and nightly living doing just that. And along with that, she was in no way associated with the people of God. She was in no way by birth, by DNA, associated with the Israelites or the people of God. She was a Gentile, and not only a Gentile, a sinner of the worst order. And of the worst kind. But when she learns about this God, rather than be afraid, she embraces His grace. She embraces His grace. And because she embraces His grace, she becomes a hero in a legacy of faith, a surprising, unexpected personality that pops up in Scripture and we say, what about me? Maybe God's grace can cover my past. Maybe God wants to do a great work in my life too. And looking up at us through the pages of Scripture is Rahab who says, yes. Yes, trust His grace. Don't hide who you are. God knows who you are. But trust His grace, confess that to Him. 
That might be your identity now. It may be your identity in the past. But God will shape a new identity for you. In this series, we have talked a lot about trusting God for what we do not see. Remember that you can trust God for what you do not see about you. Because you may be sitting in here or at home, and you're thinking, God could never forgive me. What kind, of, I, I, what kind of future could I have because of the past I have? What kind of person could I be for God because of the present situation that I'm in? Or maybe you're thinking, how could God use me? I don't have any skill. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not as great as some of these other people. I look around the room in church and I see all these talented, skilled, gifted people. How could God use me? Listen, let God worry about that. Because God is calling you out. God loves to raise up heroes from unexpected people. And he does it by his grace. Remember the Gospel of John the Bible says Jesus and his disciples went through Samaria on their journey home. And it says that they had to go, that Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria at the time. But the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were a mixed ethnicity, half-breed Jews. They argued over who had the right place for worship. So the Jews didn't like them. When they arrive in Samaria, they go to a place called Jacob's Well and and the Bible says Jesus sat down at the well and he sent his disciples off to get food and nourishment and he said, I'll wait here. And the Bible teaches us and shows us the reason that he waited is because there was a Samaritan woman that would come out in the middle of the day to draw water from the well. She wouldn't come when the other women were there and we find out through her conversation with Jesus the reason she wouldn't come is because she had a tainted past and a tainted present. As Jesus tells her, he already knows her and he tells her, You've had five men, five husbands, and the one you're living with now is, is not even your own. Not your own. A conversation proceeds, and he reveals herself, himself to her, and she realizes he is the Christ, and she trusts Christ and goes off and brings the Samaritans to hear this man. She's been changed. How unexpected that she would be the one to go into the village of Samaria and bring people back to hear Christ. She's unexpected. She's not the right one. And yet she gets saved that day because of the grace of God in Christ. He stayed to find her and to talk to her. God's waiting for you to trust His grace. To trust Him for what you do not see about you. How He can use you. How He wants to include you in this legacy of faith. So hearers of the faith have this in common. We, uh, we remember God's nature. He never changes. His promises are there. We embrace God's grace because that's all you can do. You can't come to God and claim that you're good enough for Him, that you're righteous enough for Him, you're religious enough for Him. No, you come and you say, God, I am unworthy, and you, you confess your sin and you trust Christ and embrace His grace. And then third, trust God's plan. This is where everything moves forward for her. Because now that she has embraced His grace, now that she knows who this God is, she takes action on her faith. She takes action on what she believes. And she seeks to join God in what God is doing in Canaan. Look at this. She welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Rahab embraced God's grace, trusted God, 
and became God, part of God's people by faith that day, not by DNA, but by faith, and embraced what God was doing. So she wanted to participate in what God was doing. So rather than turn the spies in, rather than run away from them, rather than lock them out, she welcomed them in peace. And when she welcomed them in peace, she distinguished herself from those who would perish because of disobedience. The Bible teaches this throughout. That those who do not trust Christ as their Savior number themselves among the disobedient on whom the wrath of God rests. The only end result from that is to perish apart from Christ. But those who trust Christ, who welcome Christ into their lives, are saved by grace through faith. And distinguish themselves as those among the people of God. By faith. Maybe you weren't born into a Christian family. This might be your first day at church, here or on in line. Maybe you just stumbled across this on the internet. You say, well, I don't have this heritage of faith in my life. But the good news is, right now you can trust Christ today and start over. You can start a heritage of faith in your family. You can be the change point. You can be the one that says, I want to, get, I want to participate with God in what God is doing. I want to join Him in what He is doing. At that moment, she became, Rahab became part of the plan of God that God had already put in place for her. We're going to rewind again just a bit to the book of Joshua and chapter 2 and pick up again in the discussion, the conversation Rahab has with the spies. And they make a pact to protect Rahab when the city inevitably falls and the Israelites rush into the city because she has welcomed them. She has aligned herself with the people of God. So they're going to be sure she is protected. Look at this, Joshua 2 verse 17. So the men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Verse 21 of Joshua chapter 2. She says, let it be as you say. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. She tied the scarlet cord to the window. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Tie the scarlet cord to the window, and everyone who is with you in your house will be saved. Everyone who is with you in your house will be safe. No one who is behind the scarlet cord will die. That sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? Remember when Moses put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and anyone in the house would be saved because of the blood. Anyone in Rahab's house will be saved because of the scarlet cord. Anyone who comes to Christ will be saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. How could Rahab have possibly known that part of God's plan for her when she embraced His grace and joined His work and became active in the work of God, when she trusted Him for what she could not see, how could she have possibly thought she would be used of God to foreshadow the cross of Jesus Christ. She would be used of God to remind everyone who comes after her this unexpected and surprising truth that God saves anyone 
who trust the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ died for you. And God raises up heroes of the faith from those who have trusted Christ. That's the moment Rahab got saved. Because she trusted the scarlet cord and embraced God's grace. And how could she have known that her story would not end there? How could she have known that she would meet and marry an Israelite man named Salmon? And she and Salmon would have children together, and one of those children was a young man named Boaz. And Boaz would meet and marry a woman named Ruth, who, by the way, also was not an Israelite, but Boaz was. And Boaz and Ruth would have a child named Obed. And Obed and his wife would have a child named Jesse. And Jesse and his wife would have a youngest son named David. And David would become the greatest king Israel had ever known. And David would, would foreshadow and even prophesy the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And Rahab is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she trusted God for what she could not see about herself. And she believed in the one true God who never changes, the grace of God that saves her, and the plan of God that He had for her. Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're sitting at home, and you're thinking what an unexpected thing it would be if God included me in a heritage of heroes of the faith, well, the only thing holding you back is the confession of your sin and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've done that, believer, listen. What only thing holding you back is you don't trust God for what you cannot see. You want it to be about your skill. You want it to be about your goodness. You want it to be about your greatness. It's not. Embrace His grace, the grace that saved you, and trust His plan for you. And watch what God can do through those who trust Him. I'm going to pray for us. Believers, I'm going to pray for us first. Uh, because we're sitting in here, you may feel like your, 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 your journey with the Lord is stunted. You're wondering why you're standing in front of the Red Sea. You're wondering what God has intended. Uh, my question to you is, have you given all of that to Christ and said, I want to join you in what you're doing? I always want to join. I believe God's going to do a great work if I will surrender and submit to Him again today. Sometimes we have to say, God, forgive me for thinking it's all about me. Remind me today, God, it's about Jesus. It's about you. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're in here, you're online, maybe you're even watching this later. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer in just a moment. That you can pray in your heart to the Lord. Pray in faith to give your life to Christ today. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Get him, ask Him to, to set you on that new journey of faith and see what God can do in your life when you trust Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment. God, how we thank You that You preserve the story of Rahab and Scripture for us, that we could look into the pages of the Word of God and find ourselves there and say, yes, that's me. All this time, I've been thinking I had to be better. I had to be more skilled. I had to be different before God would love me, before God would use me in His Word. But we see now, Father, it's about You. It's about Your grace. So God, I pray for each person in this room and everyone at home that knows 
We have trusted Christ as our Savior. Maybe we have a checkered past or a painful past or a doubtful present. Maybe, God, we don't have any idea what the future holds, and maybe right now it looks tough to us. But, God, if we're believers in Jesus and we know we've trusted Christ, Father, I pray we would turn all that over to you right now. We trust you, God. We want to join you in what you're doing. We want to start over with you today. We want to look for what you're doing and get involved with you. We want to take action on our faith, God, and let you work through us to bring about the great work of God. Father, I pray for us here and at home. You would raise up a hero of the faith today. Surprise us, God, with what you're going to do in our lives and with who we are when we trust Christ. And Father, I pray for that one who needs Christ. We know we've never trusted Jesus as our Savior. We've come to church, we've been religious, we've tried to be good, but we've never put our faith and trust in Christ. So we might be part of a religion, but we're not a part of the family of faith. Father, how I pray today, anyone who knows in their hearts they've never trusted Christ would pray this prayer in their heart to you as I pray it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. And I know that I can't save myself. I could never be that good. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today. You have risen from the grave. So Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I repent of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me. Give me a home in heaven. Give me new life in Christ. And by faith from this point forward, I will follow Christ. And it's in His precious name we pray. Father, for all of us, God, I pray we'd follow through with those commitments that we have made today or made in the past, God. A fresh commitment to start over, Father. I pray for those who need to come to the altar. I pray for those who need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church. Whatever decision we're going to make here in just a moment or we've made right where we are today, God, how I pray we would follow through with that decision. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.